0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more.
1: This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com.
2: With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more. Only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply. Not valid with any of the offer, discount, or coupon.
0: Hi, this is Paul Lazarus. In the 1980s, I produced and hosted a radio series called Anything Goes, a celebration of the American musical theater. Now the Broadway Podcast Network is bringing back these shows. This is the conclusion of a two-part series featuring director-choreographer Martha Clark and composer Richard Peasley. This program originally aired in 1984 and featured both Clark and Peasley discussing their stunning collaboration on The Garden of Earthly Delights,
3: a dance music theater piece based on the Hieronymus Bosch painting. This is a question for both of you. The musicians became an incredibly important element of the dance, not just the music side of the performance the piece, and, and it is a combination music, theater, dance work, I guess, for, for lack of any other word to call it. Uh, but they're used in a unique way. They're not only used just to add a visual factor, but the music becomes an element in the dance. I don't know how, any other way to say that, but people are being uh, murdered with instruments, and the sounds themselves become an active part of the dance when that person is being beaten by the bass drum. And, and uh, Stephen is flown as a little cherub at one point. Why? How did that happen? How did that evolve?
4: Well, I think that comes right out of Bosch. If you look at the uh, painting, especially hell, you see uh, musicians being tortured by their instruments. Of course, the most famous image is the person being impaled by the strings of the harp, and then Martha's great imagination and the Mm. (laughs) musician's willingness to participate. I think it's wonderful when musicians are not stashed away in an orchestra pit, but really feel a a part of the production.
2: They've enjoyed it a lot. I mean, they've been wonderful to work with, but they really had fun.
4: Did they come up with any of the
3: dance things that they do? Oh, sure. Yeah, I figured they might have. The
2: sessions um, where the piece was created were really like recess, and we'd bring in props and instruments and just play wildly for hours, and we kept notes on what we liked, and then when we were forced to make a decision, finally about three or four weeks before we opened last spring to work in progress, we started to take the good out and throw out the bad.
3: How long did that recess period last?
2: Twelve weeks altogether, wouldn't you say? From beginning yeah, to end.
3: About. How did the score evolve along with the, the play and the, and the movement?
4: Well, I was going to say, we were not there every day at the rehearsals. We would come in uh, a couple of times a week, yeah, the score evolved in a very collaborative way. Uh, musicians would improvise things that I could work off of. I would bring in music that wasn't quite right, but then the musicians would play around with it, and uh, suddenly it would be right. Did
3: you bring in some of the major themes, and then let them riff off that, or or did it go uh, the other yes. way around?
4: <laughs> yes, actually, uh, the music for the Women's Quartet developed that way I brought in a a piece of written music and it wasn't quite working so um, what we did was we took the one section that did sound as though it might work it had a theme and a rather dull accompaniment and Bill Rule, the percussionist made the accompaniment more interesting and uh, Eugene Frieson and uh, Steve Silverstein started playing the melody with a very wide vibrato And the result was this very strange, eerie-sounding section of the piece.
2: Uh, It's one one of my favorites. Thank you.
3: Given the framework of the painting, how important did, did storytelling or narrative become to you in, in pursuing this piece?
2: Well, it was very hard to find, make it linear because the painting is, you know, it's
3: you know really like just a hundred
2: images within one frame, and it was terribly, terribly difficult to find a story in it. However, Eden seemed a likely place to start. Um, we wanted Eden to be on the dark side because everything that Bosch does is on the dark side. (laughs) Um, And Eden went into the garden section, which is the section that suggests flying and water activity and nature and botanical and biological changes and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Then to break from those little naked figures, um, I thought the Seven Deadly Sins would be a nice insertion. And that is a very different feeling choreographically and visually than the rest of the piece. And then we swing it back into hell because it seems that the seven deadly sins would warrant moving on in that direction.
4: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
3: what, how, would you, how would you describe what you do at the end?
2: Well, I, I feel it gets hopeful again at the end. As in life, with quotes around it. <laughs> um, it's all a big wheel, you know? You go so far down and the phoenix rises up again, Mm -hmm. and I think at the end Dick has brought the ocarina melody back, um, which is in the garden section, in a very lyrical section. I've just been impaled by Eugene Friesen, however, I look up and hear this tune as though I remember it from another life. And Margie flies in the air in a very kind of innocent, beautiful way again, and it seems as in history, as in everything else, it's all going to be reborn Mm -hmm. and the whole process begins over again. Uh, But
3: you you did feel it was important to to find some narrative or linear approach to to some extent.
2: Yeah, because um, often dance pieces, pure dance pieces, are no longer than 20 minutes. And this is about 55 minutes and it really does need a narrative to support it. And I'm very interested in narrative and theater and plays and structure. And uh, I think it helped us give uh, armature for the work.
5: from the garden of earthly delights by Richard Peasley and now back to a pre-recorded interview with Richard Peasley and Martha Clark
3: there's a from your standpoint there's a combination of of, of, I can't think of a better word natural sounds uh, an attempt to create the to evoke wind uh, banging of pipes uh, I can't think offhand those are the two I recall with uh, on the other hand, a period instrument quality with uh, one more thing I would say, a modern tonality. Uh, how, how are you reconciling all those different things in terms of putting your stamp on it? We, and it's clearly your very, well, <laughs> you know, your your personal sense of style. I'm just wondering, the eclecticism of that is interests me and the fact that it all blends together into one piece beautifully.
4: Well, I don't know. I, I guess the main thing is just, I don't worry about style you know, It sort of happens And I uh, kind of hope that it all comes together At the end <laughs> I guess the other thing is that it is As Martha says, it's almost an hour long And just from the uh, Standpoint of pure Maintaining interest in the score We had to use every Trick, device <laughs> Means of playing the instrument Possible that fitted the piece But some of the outtakes were Very interesting For instance, um, Bill Rule, the percussionist, was being swung around by one of the dancers making low passes at the uh, marimba, and every Uh time he went over it, he would play a gliss. Oh, you mean bodily swinging. Yeah, bodily bodily being swung around Uh on the shoulders of this dancer. Another time, uh, Gene uh, Frieson's cello was being used as a pendulum while somebody held the bow, and as the cello swung by the boat with play. <laughs> 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 all $25,000 worth of cello. Yeah, yeah I was going <laughs> to say,
3: does he, does, he, does he have trouble with that at all? Uh, the, the cello? Well, this is the
4: amazing thing that they're so willing to try anything.
5: Jean Friesen, Cello, Bill Rule, Percussion, and Steve Silverstein, wind instruments. And now back to a pre recorded interview with Martha Clark and Richard Peasley.
2: Well, I love the nakedness of the church and the structure that all the light trees are shown and that yeah. all the technical wires and It makes equipment. the band
3: look very beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, 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 because they they are sensuous compared to most of that metallic stuff that's exposed, yeah. so they become, by comparison, in that forest, very beautiful. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. It's strange because it's got a kind of high tech look in this old nineteenth century church, with the warm yeah, brick. Yeah, there's not walls. too many good.
3: There's not too many better spaces for this piece. Uh, I know, yeah. and it's
2: scary to think about. It's moving into a regular proscenium. Yeah. There's no way
3: to stay there, huh? scheduling wise. To buy it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what other changes were made between last year's presentation and this year's more, quote-unquote, more finished presentation of it?
4: Well, there was this whole climactic orchestral section in Hell, which uh, we added, what do we call it? The,
2: uh, we call it the Mad Musicians.
4: The Mad Musicians. When um, everybody uh, starts oh, yes. playing in waltz tempo, the only thing is that the offbeats beats are... Uh, the percussionist's head being smashed into the marimba, right. and the downbeat is uh, Tim Wingard being <laughs> smashed into the bass drum. And, I'm a radiator. Yes. Oh, right. <laughs> on radiator. Yes, <laughs> that's right. is on radiator. That's right. Oh yes, and and uh, Polly has uh, got her head in the wind machine, and Eugene Frieson is banging his head against the thunder sheet, and,
2: uh, and Marie but, is yelling the Arabic wail. That's right. <laughs> Very
4: eclectic, once again. <laughs> that's It just gets faster
3: and faster and more out of control. So yes, that's
4: right.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Is there anything in particular that when, as you got inside that painting, that became important to you as as a theme? And I don't mean to simplify the work and say that that's what the the work's about, but was there anything in the painting that grabbed you personally other than his imagery?
2: Take it away, Dick. Well, <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, I could say sex and violence, but <laughs> that's always a grabber. No, but uh, I think it's the—it's uh, such a large subject that he handles, and sort of covers the whole human condition. That's what's really fascinating about it—the fall of man, in, in a way. I don't know. There's so many things—the eroticism and the music, the musical references. And the um, extraordinary imagination, really, uh, I couldn't believe it. I never really looked at that painting closely until we worked on it.
2: I feel also there's um, the expressions of the people in the triptych all have a kind of innocence and sweetness, even when they're being brutal to each other. And I think sometimes people can be difficult and insensitive and and there is a an overview of kind of a man being a rather doomed creature uh, he knows not what he does kind of outlook that Bosch has but it's all with a, a kind of general benevolence on his part I think there's um, great compassion towards human beings and what they go through
3: it's amazing that that painting arrived when it did to me I mean, because it, it's, it's done in what
4: year, um, the painting? Do you know? It's Well, it was 14... It was around the time of Columbus, I think. Yeah. It was it's late... Uh, late 15th century. century.
2: it was finished in 1505. Started in 1496. The
3: opening statement is so beautiful choreographically, and uh, people seem to be... Uh, they cross the stage bent over on all fours, and there's a grace to it, an animalistic grace. It's not really... To me, not particularly human, it's, uh, it's more animal in quality. What, what image is that for you that you're working on there? What what's inspired that?
2: Well, uh, we wanted to get some imagery that was kind of pre-human, a little bit like evolution. And I would say that the cast on all fours, um, everyone's on tiptoe and walking on tiptoes and the prongs of their fingers, and it looks like either antelope to me or some kind of wild dogs and um, to try and go back to amphibians and (laughs) fishes and all of that seemed to be too much so just the the pre-Adam and Eve all creatures on the stage are on all fours Mm -hmm. kind of set up the world for Adam and Eve to inhabit
4: that was not just off of the top of Martha's head I mean there is a whole other panel to the painting which is the kind of primeval, primordial. Oh, I see. Uh, condition of the earth.
2: Yeah, we call it a primordial ooze. The
3: slime,
4: yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's on the back of one of the other panels, right?
2: Well, actually, when the panels close, it's the earth, a little bit as though seen from the moon, mm-hmm. when the actual panel, and I was in the Prado when it was closed once, there was some official showing it to another official. It's in the Eden section that there are these dark creatures coming out of a pool of water.
3: Did he label the three panels himself? Do you know?
2: I don't know if they're labeled.
3: How are they divided?
4: Well, the first panel is Adam and Eve, uh, mainly devoted to Adam and Eve. The second panel is the the largest, isn't it? Yes. And it's the garden of earthly delights, basically. It's everybody having a good time. (laughs) And the last panel is hell, and everybody's having a bad time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They started the party too late. Yeah, that's right.
3: The the, the night and the morning after.
5: Music from the Garden of Earthly Delights. Music by Richard Peasley, directed and choreographed by Martha Clark. You're listening to Anything Goes, and a pre-recorded interview with Paul Lazarus and Richard Peasley and Martha Clark.
3: Who conceived of the costumes with uh, being the skin tight almost representing uh, nakedness?
2: If we had gone nude, no one would have watched it. They would have watched the nudity. So Milliskin um, is a rather disgusting symbol of modern dance and when I left Palabalos I lit a match to one of mine and said never again. What is it called again? Milliskin. It's a very tight fabric that is skin tight however it seemed the best solution and Jane Greenwood who was our designer decided that a simple drawing rendering of anatomy it has a very you know naive way that she's done it very charming I think it works quite well.
3: Yeah, I think you're right. I think, t- and also it might have gotten to be problematic, the nudity, in terms of doing s- most of the things that you, yes, you do. Yes, it, it
2: certainly would have. Mm. And it may, in the painting itself, everyone has this kind of sweetly pink flesh. And it's from Eden all the way to hell. That's why we never change the costumes. People don't get grim and sick looking as they get to hell. I mean, it's the same color skin.
3: So, can, can you talk about the, the next thing you're going to work on together?
2: Well, it's <laughs>
4: supposedly about it's a project uh still in a very early talking stage about Vienna just before World War one uh, It's a period that I guess has uh interested both of us for pretty different reasons. I think uh Martha, because of the artists involved who are
2: Uh, Clint, Egon, Sheila, Kokoschka. I was in Venice this summer and saw a magnificent show of Vini's art and I'd been seeing Renaissance art for two weeks traveling around Italy and when I got to Venice I kind of levitated on this Venetian art. (laughs) (laughs) And I've loved Sheila's work for a long time. And it's historically such a rich period, I mean it was the... End of the Victorian era and the end of a certain kind of life. That once the First World War came around, it was never, will never be repeated again.
4: Yeah, that's what really interests me about it. It's it's the end of an era, and that, all that history that uh, well, Bar- Barbara Tuckman talks about in the Guns of August. It's that sort of twilight of a whole uh, empire and civilization that just ended with World War One.
5: The conclusion of the music for The Garden of Earthly Delights, a collaborative music theater dance piece with Conception and Direction by Martha Clark and music by Richard Peasley. We'd like to thank the musicians involved, Eugene Friesen on cello, Bill Rule percussionist, and Steven Silverstein, who in the course of this recording, played 18 instruments from the ocarina to the uh, serpent. And we want to thank Marth Clark and Richard Peasley for consenting to be interviewed for this program. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of Anything Goes.
0: Even listening to the conclusion of a two-part program featuring director-choreographer Martha Clark and composer Richard Peasley. Associate producer Jeff London. Anything Goes, backstage with Broadway's Best, is produced and hosted by Paul Lazarus. For more information, visit anythinggoespl.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure
4: to rate and follow us. Thanks for listening.